Hey, good morning, everybody. So I'm going to tell you what we're doing uh, at the end of May. We are actually going to go back to doing two services for like a summer schedule. You're like, oh, crap. I know, because you remember the old two services, right? Like it's room packed out. So, uh, but we're doing it. I offered first service since, you know, we take everything down and just do it with like a box. I offered them earplugs for when they come back because, you know, it's, it's like, you know, so you got to do your whole little. Man, you guys are a tough crowd this morning. Okay, so this is good. This is gonna be a good day. I buttoned up shirt for my mom because it's Mother's Day. You know. Anyway, so we're going back to services. Uh, we're thinking 9:30, 11 o'clock will be our service time, so you can move one way or the other. Uh, 10:45. Seriously, we have 137 seats in the room, and our 10:45 used to be like 150, 160 people. So uh, you can shift back that way, or shift. Got to say shift, so it doesn't sound. Yeah, uh, 9.30, 10, 11 o'clock, whichever way you guys want to go. 11, you know, guys, so you guys still out by noon for lunch and all that. And we actually, I think we found a way to bust some walls out and make the room a little bigger so we can stay at two services as well because I will now get an extra half hour of sleep. <laughs> so I get it for first service and I'm like, what? It's like, go talk now. Okay. Yeah, okay. So it is. So uh, you'll you'll get that every single week. We'll just start telling you about this. And actually, the week before we do it, uh, we're going to hand you little cards that have new times on them. Because even now, people can walk in the doors and they're all, and like we've already started service, and they back up and they look at the sign on the door, and they're like, <laughs> like, cool, missed half the message. This is awesome. This is great. Uh, we are starting something new in about three or four weeks. Uh, we're going to start a new podcast. Uh, if you guys want to subs- or subscribe to our podcast now, we're going to do a thing called Element Answers. And so if you send an email to answers at ourelement.org, ask any questions you want. I know all kinds of people that do all kinds of stuff. I know electrical engineers. I know plumbers. I know contractors. I know sheriffs. Uh, I know theologians. So you can ask, like, you know, i got to move my light socket two feet to the left. How do I do that? We'll, we will answer that question. You can say, um, is the hypostatic union a Greek or, Greek or a biblical concept? She's like, what? Exactly. That's a theological question. We'll answer that question. You, know, and you can send us a question about anything. Why did Campbell's change their soup from loaded with MSG to no MSG, and now it tastes like garbage because we need the chemicals? I will answer that because I have my own theories on it. And I'm very irritated about it, by the way. So... Uh, Answers at ourelement.org. Feel free to send stuff there. And then if you pull in this morning, you see these signs on the corner. They say, Lakeview Promenade, coming soon. That's a lie. Uh, (laughs) Basically, there's a developer, and developers get paid to try and do something. And with this project, because of the economy, there's no funding. Everything's kind of dead in the water. So the developer, I think, is still trying to keep his job. So they throw signs on the corner. Really, as we stand right now, they, they have no intention of, asking us to leave at any point. So we're doing good. You have a little bit of security. You're okay. We're actually going to bust out walls, like I said, so we have more room. So it'll be wonderful. Good, right? Yeah. All right. Are you ready for a thoroughly fundamentalist Sunday morning? Uh, okay. Why don't you guys stand the reading of God's Word? This is where we go. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, and it says this. You didn't need to stand up, by the way. You have a baby in two weeks. Moms, you're awesome. Thanks for us. Okay. Uh, Genesis 3.20. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. 
Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that we as your people would understand your grace and your goodness to us and what you call us to in our lives, that your spirit would speak deeply to our souls this morning and we would walk out of this place understanding you better because of the things that you have shown us today. Amen. Have a seat. So I haven't said it yet. Uh, happy Mother's Day. And because it's Mother's Day, I got a personal gift for you. We're taking a step out of John. Uh, and so my first gift is this. I am not giving you the entire message myself today. That's gift number one. <laughs> gift number two is this could even be shorter than normal. <laughs> my benevolence, it knows no bounds. Yes, that's how that works. Now, last year, I was giving a message, uh, it's about in September, about men and duty and men taking responsibility for the roles that God has given men to do. And so Tom Holmquist, who is one of our elders, his wife, her name is Jean, asked me if I was ever going to talk to women. And I mean, I really beat up guys pretty hard. And I'm like going, that sounds so, you know, Barry, Barry White or something. It's like, like hey, uh, Aaron talks to women, you know, or something like Cause Doesn't that sound like, hey, baby, how you doing, you know? <laughs> Are you going to talk to women? You know, and I know what she meant. Well, I, I kind of do. Uh, but that week kind of lent itself to men. And so she actually said she would love to talk to women at some point. And what better day than Mother's Day, right? We're going to nail you today. Uh, she actually said that God woke her up in the middle of the night and gave her some things that God wanted her to share. And I am personally, I'm very glad that God woke her up and not me because I value my sleep. So for Mother's Day, you're going to get a tag team, Superfly Jimmy Snuka kind of style. You guys... Never mind. Okay. I'm going to give today an overview of why God loves marriage, why God loves the institution of marriage, uh, why men and women need each other, and why marriages should last. And Jean's going to come up. She's going to talk about roles in that that men and women have, and then I'm going to close. So you ready? Okay, here we go. Uh, marriage really intrigues me about how differently men and women approach it culturally. Most little girls, from the time that they can formulate thought, usually that's around two, they're planning their wedding day. You know, they, they envision the dress and the vows and the flowers and the, and the rings and, and the kiss. You know, they think about all this stuff. Little girls to young women simply dream of one good day that makes all of their friends jealous and it lives on forever in everybody's memory. Now, this... Uh, there, there are actually some, some contradictions of the standard half-hour TV show that you and I watch every week for sitcoms because multiple studies have actually revealed that women need one relationship in their life that lasts. It's kind of like styrofoam. It should be forever, right? Um, new, new Scientist actually s- cites a recent study of 4,500 men and women that details for women that it'd be better for a woman's mental health to remain single and never date than to actually have loved and lost. Uh, The Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health shows that women's mental health deteriorates with each and every breakup they experience. Interesting. Uh, Men and women, studies have shown, when they get married, they tend to live longer, live healthier, they have a higher self-esteem, regardless of their weight, their income, or what car they drive. Uh, More than half of the women in America believe it is better to get married than go through life single. 72% of women believe it is more important for a man to spend a lot of time with his family than be successful at his career which kind of makes me wonder about the other 28% and what they think. Go to work. Bring me some money. I don't, you know. Uh, and then, guys, you should hear this. Before any man ever talks to a woman about marriage, 46% of women have already planned on how many children they want to have. Yes. You know, the only women that you find who are not completely excited about marriage are the ones who have had too many breakups, just like the article states. Mae West, who is an actress from the turn of the century, they says, she says, they say that love is blind and marriage is an institution. Well, I'm not ready for an institution for the blind just yet. <laughs> Mae West had many relationships. 
and it is reflected in her view. Now, could it be that the meaning of marriage is lost because as a society we have forgotten actually what the meaning was supposed to be? Now, men's views on marriage are just as strong as women's. I know because I'm a man. At least I try to convince my wife that every single week. Uh, our, culture, our culture likes to make fun of men and the lack of commitment that they are perceived to display. But I will tell you this. This is something that gives me much hope. And that when a man finds a woman that captures his heart, he is willing to give almost anything for that woman. I will tell you what actually diminishes my hope is that many women sell themselves too cheaply for a few beers or too early, which is any day before their wedding day. See, I'm, I'm not being old-fashioned. What I am telling you from a guy's perspective, girls, is that you should make us fight for you. You should call us to a higher standard. You should not make it easy. You should not date the guy who's 45 years old and lives in his mom's house. Okay? You know, not like he's taking care of her, but, oh, mom, did you buy me milk for my cereal? Okay? That guy. Don't date that guy. Don't date the guy that lives in the park and strums his guitar and can't get a job and, and give you a home. Don't date that guy. You know, I don't care how cute he is and how great he sings. You don't want to date that guy. You want to date a guy that is going to fight for you. Because in, in our culture, what has happened is we have started to teach boys how not to become men because everything in our primetime shows teaches girls how not to make men fight for you. You should not make it easy. You should make it hard for guys to get you. And yet it is these women who are very easy that fill our shows and our primetime TV and is this cheapened view of truth and beauty and sex that, it, that has encouraged boys to stay that the way they are and not grow up. And it leads to all the jokes about sex. Jeff Foxworthy, he says this, getting married for sex is like buying a 747 for the free peanuts. <laughs> Boy, you guys are slow today. Bertrand Russell, who was a British philosopher, among other things, in 1872, he was born, and he, he says this, even way back then, he says, the total amount of undesired sex endured by, endured by women is probably greater in marriage than in prostitution. There you go. See, I'm waiting to settle in. And it's like, oh, I can't believe he just said that. Yes, I did. Now, I, I will tell you, it is this view that is being pervaded by our culture. Now, I have performed a lot of weddings, and no one has ever walked down the aisle hoping to get divorced the next day. When a couple recites their vows, they do it with the utmost sincerity they can muster. The words, I do, it drips with possibility and hope. Because marriage is about more than one day. It's more about a dress and a rented cheap tuxedo and hysterical mother or mother-in-law and a tyrannical wedding planner. You know, it is about the vows and the words and the hearts and one flesh and commitment that lasts the rest of their lives. Now, when Jesus lived, the religious leaders liked to ask him a bunch of questions to try to get him in trouble. Now, one of the questions when they asked him about divorce, Jesus answered like this in Matthew 19.8. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Now, is that not true? Most of the time people get to divorce, their hearts become very hard. And then he says this, but it was not this way from the beginning. Now, to a rabbi, the beginning would refer to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The Torah is God's revelation of himself to his people. In the beginning would refer to what was important for man to know. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That was what is important for man to know. In the beginning of the Torah, God makes everything. And at the culmination of making everything, he makes mankind. He starts by making a guy called Adam. The name Adam comes from the idea of dust or dirt or earth. The name is to remind man of how we were made, that we were made by God, we are dearly loved by God, but we are from the dirt. So don't get a big head, okay? And then he said, but we were made from this dirt that God actually called good. 
I think Adam, God creates him. He's like every young guy on his own. He thinks it's great for a while until he realizes that he is alone in his humanness. So God gives Adam some things to do. He gives him a job. Tend the garden. Take care of the animals. Name them. I'm sure Adam does this with great fervor as everything is so new and crisp and clean and, and beautiful. He starts in, probably you know, clocks in, gets ready to go do his job. And what is interesting about naming from an early biblical perspective is that in the process of naming, Adam is taking responsibility for the things that he names. This is one of the reasons why God has him name the creatures. So Adam will understand that all the vibrancy of this creation is under his domain and his care. God is reinforcing in Adam the trust which has been bestowed upon him, that every creature is under his protection and his attentive care. And he can love this creation or he can destroy this creation based upon the decisions that he now makes and how he manages it. So Adam starts this naming process and this creative things begin. I'm sure he's excited like you know any kid that has his first job, you know, like a high school kid, even when he sits behind a clown and asks for your order, he's still excited about that job when he first gets it. Maybe not the second day when he's got to clean up, but the first day he's really excited. So Adam's throwing out random names. He's making puns. In Hebrew, there's lots of puns on animal names. And, and the process starts to go, and I think he begins to notice something. And I'm sure it's something that God intended for him to notice because God is sure in all that he does. And that is this, that there are two kinds of every animal. You can see Adam's mind spinning with this and what it looks like. like. Here comes a wolf. I don't want to name that wolf. And here comes another wolf. Well, that's... Well, he's lifting his leg to pee and this one's squatting to pee. Well, that's... I mean, you get the idea, right? They're same but different. Oh, here comes a horse. Horse! That's a... That's a little different. But they're horse. I'll, I'll call them... And, and he starts to see this. And, and I think that God did this for the purpose that Adam would start to look... Where, where's the corresponding thing to me? I mean, um, Adam's naked. Renee's probably like, what would that even look like? You know? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's very creative, you know, and, um, and I'm sure he's like, I, I don't know how, how that would go. And I think he realizes these drastic differences, and it's something that God wanted him to actually see. He probably looks around, you know, where is this different from me? Where can I find it? You know, and, and in Genesis 2.20, says this, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So Adam sees all these animals with their corresponding helpers, and he's looking for you know, his suitable helper, and yet nothing is found. And you know that God has already seen this, because in Genesis 2.18 it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so what you see that God does is he has Adam see the need. And then God provides for that need. God has Adam take a nap because most guys need a nap after a hard day's work. It's biblical, ladies. Just letting you know how that works. Um, while Adam is sleeping, God takes one of his ribs and he fashions a suitable helper. The literal word when he says make the woman here, it's the word translates as built. Uh, this word in the creation narrative is only used in this place of the woman. The woman that God is going to create is going to be unique. She's going to be one of a kind made from Adam's rib and yet distinct to be his helper. And helper is not a term of denigration. Uh, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is called the helper. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is the, the weak third part of the Trinity. It means that he is fully God and that is his role that he does. The term helper is not denigration, a term of necessity. The Hebrew word ezer, which is where that suitable helper comes from, means a fitting helper. When that corresponds to Adam's humanity, none of the animals that were created were like Adam. Nothing complemented Adam's nature. Nothing connected and completed him like the woman was supposed to. Now, I think God creates the woman, and I think God loves a great reveal. 
Okay? I think God's just creative like that. And so I think God makes the woman, and he places her in a very beautiful and alluring location. I think it's on a smooth, dark rock on a partly cloudy day in front of a waterfall with mist. <laughs> Filling a lagoon. Hey, let me go. Okay, let me go. I think, I think the ripples from the water come up, and they, and they lap at her, at her feet. I, you know, the, the little displacement in the water. And I think God takes and he places this sanctuary or this cathedral that he puts the woman in behind the standard trees with palm branches fanned out. So maybe it looks like that. It's like, what's back there? Don't go in there. What's back there? You know, I want to see through this. So I think it's being view. I think God takes Adam. I think he wakes him up and he goes, Adam, go for a walk. And Adam's probably like, any guy's like, what? What do I got to do? Go for a walk. Oh, okay. No, no, the other way. Okay. You know, and he goes, go, go walking in the garden. And so uh, the scriptures, when they reflect this, they actually in Genesis 2.22, it says, God brought her to the man. Now, this doesn't mean it didn't happen the way I'm, I'm describing. The wording in scripture is that God literally brought his bride to Adam for the purpose of oneness and marriage. It could happen exactly like I'm saying here. So I think Adam, you know, comes up to the cops of trees, and I can see God saying, yeah, that's it. Go right in there. It's amazing. So that's what I think he sees. <laughs> I'm not going to show you. I mean, come on. It's church. I think he's like, Oh, it's good. You know, a little fuzzy. You know, what's, what's going on in there? You know, so I think Adam walks forward to the palm branches and he looks up. I think God parts the clouds and light shines down. And Adam goes, I know what that difference is for between men and women now. It's beautiful in the context, right? And you know what, Adam? Okay. Naked, no shame. Ah, beautiful. Now, Adam just doesn't run up and go, oh, woman, oh, woman, and, and jump on and roll around like a Hollywood movie would do, right? He doesn't do that. What Adam does here is he sings to her. He begins to woo her. He, he wants her to know that he will care for her and he will love her and he will be everything he can be for her because she is his helper and his soulmate. And Adam sings these words in Genesis 2.23. says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. The literal rendering of this is now, it is this one at last. As opposed to all the other animals that he was looking at, he found his right soulmate at last. Matthew Henry says this. He says that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be beloved. Now, many people today decry the scriptures of being old and out of date and sexist and not valid for modern readers. Yet it is in this very rendering of the books of Moses that we see that men and women are equal because God made them equal. Man and woman, both in the image of God and both with a purpose. That means men and women have roles to play. Though they're equal, we have different roles to play in marriage and how marriages become strong. They're both suitable for each other. Adam cannot separate himself from the necessity for Eve any more than he could separate his bones from his flesh. She is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And then Adam does something amazing. You know what it is? He names her. She shall be called woman. He names her. Before God and in front of the woman, Adam promises to forever care for Eve. The man gives a woman a name that is derived from his own name, therefore acknowledging her to be his equal. He names her Isha, which is woman, which is uh, Adam then actually names himself Ish, man. And so he gives her a name that is relative to his own. You know, before this moment, Adam is always called Adam, you know, Adam, dirt. And from this point forward, Adam's called man, Ish. 
And what this means is that for the first time, Adam has found the fulfillment of his manhood, and it happens when he comes face to face with the woman. It's beautiful. Now, ancient rabbis, when they refer to this text, they said that men and women are incomplete without each other because we cannot properly live, love, or even worship God until we have our ish or our asha beside our side, living as one to make us whole. Moses is making an argument, they will say, for marriage. Now, I know that there, there are people, uh, and I think they're very few and far between, that, that God calls and says, here's a special calling on your life, and you will never get married. I think that call is very few and far between. I think most people are actually called to get married. And so if you have that call in your life, great. Uh, I, I also don't say what I'm saying this morning to make you feel bad if you've been divorced or you haven't done it right. We are all people on a journey going towards this place where God redeems us and says, this is where you're supposed to be, so we go towards the ideal. We have all messed up. That's why we all need Jesus. Maybe you're even somebody here this morning who's looking for that ish or a shah, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm like 40 and I haven't found it yet. There are patriarchs in Scripture. Isaac not didn't find his bride till he was 40 years old. Moses was over 40 when he found his bride. I know a guy personally who was over 60 years old before he found the woman that God had for him. And he was always looking. He said after he found that woman or God brought that woman into his life, he was like, I am so glad nobody was revealed before that because she is my soulmate. And he, over 60, is stoked today to have that person in his life. You know, this, this is showing what, what marriage means in terms of commitment, you know, what the possibilities for life are supposed to hold. And so Moses makes this commentary on what has just happened in Genesis 2.24. Moses says, For this reason, man and woman, for this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. See, Moses lays it out clearly. A man leaves his father and mother. He is not 45 years old begging for the milk from his mommy. He gets a job, he gets a life, a place to live, a church to worship at, and he has a faith that can lead, love, and guide his spouse. A marriage is no place for a man who will not fight for the honor of a being as wonderful as his Isha. It says he will be united to his wife. This is a euphemism for marriage. A man who will use a woman and not marry a woman is not a man. Then he says the two will become one flesh. And this is sex. Beautiful and glorious and in that order. That's how it works. Girls, don't make it easy. Don't make it easy for the dude. Make him work for it. Make him give you a ring and a date and an I do. Marriage, it's beautiful. It is equal, yet created different. Men and women are different, and we have different roles to play in marriage. And this is kind of where we're getting to. These different roles. In the New Testament, uh, it uses this word, and this word is called submission. Now, in our culture, everybody hears it's like, ah! You know, it's like, you just said a... I don't know however long the word is. You said a 10-letter word. What is that? You said a long word. I can't spell either. Spell check, not on my notes. Okay. You know, you just, oh, and people freak out because of our, our culture has misinterpreted this word, and men have misinterpreted this word through the ages, and it has become less than what it was supposed to be. It is a great and glorious word, and my friend Gene Holmquist, who I'm tag teaming with, is going to come and talk about this for a minute. A minute? I didn't even say your joke either. So, Oh, wait, you need a mic, don't you? Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Don't hit me. <laughs> Good morning. Um, after last service, Aaron told me I was demure, which um, that's not ever been a word to describe me, but anyway... <laughs> 
and those who know me will laugh. Um, I, um, Aaron did mention that um, God woke me up with this sermon, uh, which I hate, but learning to be obedient to God is a good thing. <laughs> so I got up in the middle of the night and wrote down the thoughts that he shared with me. And my desire today is to share it with you. And I hope that I'm able to convey my heart on this subject, which is submission. Um, Submit is a very challenging word. In a woman's dictionary, it probably means something like inferior or weak or spineless or passive. But in Webster's, it says to yield or to surrender to the will of another, to acquiesce, or to allow oneself to be subjected to. In God's word, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which is the Savior. And that's in Ephesians. For years, submit was a nasty word to me. (laughs) And to understand that, you would have to understand who I am. So I'm going to share a little bit about me. Um, I'm one of seven kids. Um, I have six brothers. So, yeah, it's almost you can see it coming, right? (laughs) Um, I'm second to the oldest. So on one hand, I have my big brother who... um, like to take his anger out on me from time to time, so um, my challenge was not to let him know um, how good he was at that. Um, on the other hand, I had five younger brothers, one of which is Bruce, who you might have seen hugging you um, somewhere in this church. But um, So I had the five younger brothers, and because of where I was in the family, I was like second mom. So I... Um, did a lot of babysitting, and it's quite a challenge to get five boys to do what you want in absence of mom and dad at any time. Well, just to get five guys to do anything together. (laughs) So um, add into that mix the fact that my dad traveled a lot, and so I had this really skewed idea of what submission meant. So um, these thoughts of submission I carried into my marriage. And to this day, I'll tell you, and Tom probably agrees with me, that it's a miracle that we're still married. 32 years this June. Yay. <laughs> but um, like Aaron has called me a few times, I'm a bit challenging to deal with, not demure. <laughs> so um, I'd like to say that I became... Um, as I became a believer about 15 years into my marriage, that my thoughts of submission just like did a 180 and I was the perfect wife, but um, that didn't happen. Um, The Lord needed a lot of time to change my heart and to change who I was and to deal with the way I was brought up, the way that um, the men in my life treated me. So um, I fought the idea of being submissive, um, not understanding God's economy. Second um, Corinthians twelve ten says, "For when I am, when I am weak, then I am strong." 
And Mark 10, 44 to 45 tells us, And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for us. So in God's economy, it's opposite of the way we think it should be, what the world tells us it is. So Aaron wanted me to dis- to show the struggle of submission. And the what God gave me was sharing um, the walk that the Lord took me on when Tom decided to change careers. Um, about 15 years ago, Tom... Um, decided he didn't want to work with tools anymore and went back to school and got his insurance license. And this is where the submission part really, I mean, God and I started going like this. And um, because once Tom got his license, he wanted to quit his job and just go into insurance, which means that you go from a 40-hour work week and weekly paychecks to straight commission, which is like, eh. <laughs> I was terrified. I mean, that's just so opposite of what I can deal with you. You would, some of the women might understand and say, budget, hmm, well, let's wait till the check comes in. We we'll see if we can pay all the bills this month. That was it. And that's been for 15 years. But um, Tom jumped in to this career. And um, I'd like to say that I was a wonderfully supportive wife, but I wasn't. (laughs) Um, But God started working on my heart and um, to the point where um, we went to Portland, Oregon um, to check out that area for a branch office. And I went willingly, but I cried the whole time I was there. It's like, I don't want to leave my daughters. (laughs) And then fortunately we didn't, obviously. And then there was the time that we almost moved to Bakersfield, which is not the place you want to move to from Santa Maria. And, or, you know, every month waiting to figure out if the check was going to cover the bills that we had. And it was a struggle. It's a struggle for me to rely totally on what God provides for the household, but a struggle not to say to my husband, ah, get a job, (laughs) that you know, gives me some security, but even now to this day, he goes every week to the Bay Area, and, um, but I know, and this shows where God's brought me to, I'm okay with that, because I know that his purpose is to be there, to support um, his branch manager, to, um, to help us get through this rough economical time that everybody's in right now. So these experiences that I'm sharing with you has taught me that my plan that I think is right that puts me against my husband is not the right way to do things. It just causes dissension in our marriage and unhappiness and the Lord has enabled me to see that my place is beside my husband and supporting him. And it doesn't mean that we don't discuss things. You know, all the important decisions, we come together when we talk about it and we pray about it. But ultimately, the decision is um, up to him. And so, um, you know, the world tells us women that we can have it all and we can be it all, but we can't. And um, 
I think that for in my case, you know, we have to overcome our pride and we have to overcome our stubbornness and we have to submit to God's plan for who we are as women, what he's called us to be. And Aaron had that mentioned that quote earlier and I liked I loved it so much I wanted to say it again and just to think about it and for us women to like bury these words in our heart because it's it's he said woman was made of a rib from the side of man and it's interesting you know not made out of his head to rule over him not out of his feet to be trampled underneath but under his arm out of his side to be equal to him under his arm to be protected by him you know husbands with their arms around their wives um and near his heart to be loved and I just like the idea of being cherished. When I discuss things and I look at Mikey and I go vigorously. You know, this, I don't want you guys to feel like you come, you know, to Mother's Day and guys are like, Awesome, and the ladies are like, I can't wait until Mother's Day. I'm told to submit to my husband. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, let, let me let me let me try and give you uh, in in what in the Westernized world we try and take these words and make them static, and we put them in a Webster's dictionary and say this is it. Words, uh, biblical words, you know, Greek and Hebrew, they 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 were huge concepts. They were visual pictures. Uh, the idea of submission, it looks like this. Uh, it, it's an army. It's, it's, it's a military term where you set up your army how it is the strongest. The, w- the way God sets up a marriage is that a man is supposed to stand there and take all the arrows and the attacks that come at your family. And, and then a woman is supposed to be the person who also is involved in that battle, but, but she, like, brings food to the front line. She shoots arrows over the, the bad guys who are attacking her husband. But, you know, it's, it's this way that, that marriage is set up so it's strongest. I, I'll tell you this, uh, ladies, you need to find a guy who is that guy who will stand in the gap for your family. Uh, if Guys, if, if you are married and you're not that guy, you need to learn how to be that guy. You should not be the guy who, who stands up in the battle, comes, and you grab your wife, and you go. Because <laughs> that's not submission. That's you being, I can't say that word in church. That's, you know, the whole idea of submission, it's, it's a beautiful word. It's a concept. It's a visual picture that has been completely destroyed in our culture today. Men need to be men who are worthy to be submitted to. And the word submission is not woman make me a sandwich. You know, it is we are doing this thing because a lot of times in life, the way life is, life becomes a battle. And this whole world wants to destroy your family and your marriage. And you set this up how it is the strongest. And that's how God calls us to do it. That's the word. Now, to tie this whole thing together, in Scripture, one of the most used metaphors for God's people is His bride. That we, as God's people, are supposed to submit to God. And by submitting to God, we all of a sudden, we get strength and we get great freedom in doing that. Paul tells us that these Genesis passages have great correlation to the church. Joshua Harris actually writes this. He says, is it possible that God didn't get his inspiration for loving the church from marriage, but that one reason God created marriage was to illustrate his love for the church? I think the ramifications of that simple truth did all the ways God tried to get Adam to understand how he was supposed to love and protect and lay down his life for Eve have any bearing on how God views his people as his bride. Of course it does. Of course it does. Marriage is a reflection. 
The marriage metaphor has great parallels, not only to how God views us, but in how we view God as well. Our current culture now treats its commitment to God exactly like it treats its commitment to marriage. The worst is when we commit adultery on God, just like people commit affairs in marriages. Man is made to worship something. If it is not God, we will find something to worship, whether it's our own intellect, a sports team, a car, a job. We will find something to worship because we are designed in such a way that we will worship something even if it's not God. The truth of what marriage is and was intended to be stands out stark against the background of how our culture has tried to repaint it. I mean, I think the truth of marriage still keeps pushing itself through no matter how many times it gets tagged with our own human graffiti because God loves people. God is willing to die for his people, and he does die for his bride. God is wooing, God is singing, and God is calling and loving us to a place where we turn back to him. Just like husbands are to die for their brides, Jesus dies for his bride. We are called to be a people who live a commitment a deep and abiding love that is not swayed by every new fad that comes along. And in a real sense, our souls were made for Jesus and his love, and we will never know the trueness of what it means to be human apart from our commitment to him. God has named you and I. God cares for you and I. God died for you and I. He loves you and I. And we should be a people who truly love him back. See, this is one of the reasons we do communion every single week. Because communion reminds us of how Christ died for you and I. When you take that cracker and you break it, and it represents his body which is broken for you and I, and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice, it represents his blood that was shed for you and I. So you and I could be his bride. So you and I can come into right relationship with him again. He names us, he calls us, he woos us, and he has done everything including die for his bride, for his people. And we should be a people that reflect that in our lives and in our marriages and in our friendships. So we're going to worship God through communion. We worship God through prayer. There's going to be some elders and deacons in the back of the room. And if you need prayer, maybe, maybe your marriage is in a place where you need a little bit of help and you just want some prayer today. Pray with one of them. Maybe you're in a place and, and you've never understood you know, how deep Christ's love is for you. And this morning, maybe you got a little glimpse of that. Well, go and pray with one of them because they would love to introduce you to who Jesus is. So we're going to worship God through communion and through prayer. The band's going to come back up, do a couple more songs. And as they do these songs, I also ask you as you take communion and as you pray where you're at, that you would allow God to take his time to speak to you of how he has been wooing you, of how God has been loving you, of how God has been calling you to who you are supposed to be. We're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes in the side wall and in the very back of the room. And we simply give because God has given so much to you and I. And then we'll worship God through fellowship where you guys, after we're done, you can hang out, eat all the sugar in the back, get all hyped up and hop in the car and then, you know, hit your sugar crash on the way home. I need to go to sleep. You, know, you, can, you pull one of those. But the point is that we get together, we spur one another on so we understand Christ's love for all of us deeply. And we can push each other to who we're supposed to be. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons God gives us a, a place called the church, not the building, but the people. So we, as a people, encourage each other in how to live as the bride of Christ. Sometimes it's really hard for guys to, you know, get that girl term, bride of Christ. It's, it's not that you end up becoming a girl. It's that it is that idea of intimacy and love that just as a husband has died for his wife, Christ died for you and I. And we encourage each other to live and love as Christ has lived and loved us. So this morning, I encourage you guys.
follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would take us as your people, that you would reset our focus so we understand what it means to be the bride of Christ, that we would be people who in turn live this life that you have called us to. Father, quite honestly, uh, all of us have not lived up to the ideal. We are all in the same place. We all need you. And this morning, I ask that you would help us, if we have guilt or shame, to get past that guilt and shame and come to a place of humble trust in you and the provision that you have provided for us. I ask for those of us who are married that we would love our spouse, that as husbands we would lead our brides in such a way that we protect their honor and protect our homes. I ask that you would teach all of us how to truly live as your children so the world knows who you are and the goodness of who you are and that we would redeem words that have been so spoiled by our culture and that we would understand the greatness of what you originally intend and you redeem us back to. Help us to live for you with your strength and your purpose and your hope. Amen.